I want you to know I'm going to hang loose tonight. Because if I tried to communicate everything that I've written down here, and I've scrapped and scrapped pages because this is so much, and uh, this service is, is not essentially a Bible study, what I say, I want you to measure it out against the Bible, it needs to be biblical. Um, so I, I, I will not be able to say everything. And also, there are other Sundays to come. And also I want you to know that last Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, was really a sneaky, sneaky part one. It spoke about the taste of Eden, a taste of Eden, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Over lunch today, R.T. Kendall, not knowing necessarily that we talked about this, talked about the restoration of Eden. Eden is a very important place in the whole plan of God and the scheme of God. Do you know that the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, is a garden city? Did you know that? And anyway, so, but I'm glad we started in Eden on the day of Pentecost talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our lives and in the church and, and so on. Because when we start addressing the spiritual realm, I want you to know that my interest is first and foremost in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, God himself does not belong to the spiritual realm in the way that the heavenly beings were created to be there. God does presence himself. He dwells in heaven. Um, and also his plan is to make his dwelling place with us on the earth. And in some wonderful way, heaven and earth are going to be beautifully linked with the presence of God. So it was good to start with the Holy Spirit. And that means every other spiritual being that we mention in this series, either the angelic beings, the heavenly beings who remained faithful to God and did not fall, or whether we talk about the fallen angels or the fallen heavenly beings, when we say Holy Spirit, it means that God himself is altogether different. He's the eternal, uncreated, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving Spirit. God is Spirit. Let's keep those things in our mind. Now, if God were to do nothing about that, we would never know him. We'd never find any manifestation of him. But God, who is the great God of eternity before anything was created, has chosen to dwell and manifest his presence, for, first of all in heaven, and then he wants heaven to come down to earth. And it's important too, because one of the reasons why I'm looking at this, at this now is because so many of my friends are into angels. So many people who don't know Jesus have a thirst for the spiritual dimension. And uh, they find it easier to think about angels than God Almighty who created them and to whom they are eternally accountable. 
And so there's a lot of things going on here. But how about this passage, Psalm 89, verse 5 onwards. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Does it just mean the stars, the constellations? Well, we know that all creation praises God, but this is a hint, and the context shows, that there are heavenly beings who worship God. They are not to be worshipped. They worship God. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Can you see this as heavenly language? There is a whole host of heavenly beings, and they are assembled, and they're called to worship and praise God. Verse 6, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? This is a reference to heavenly beings. Then it goes on to say, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? And you need to know that the Hebrew there says, who among the sons of God? That's a phrase we are become familiar with when we look at the Old Testament. The heavenly beings are, amongst other things, called the heavenly sons of God. So this indicates that God has a heavenly creation, a heavenly family, sons of God, and he also has an earthly family. We are sons and daughters of God. So that's, again, very interesting. More of that later. Verse 7. And a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of his holy ones. This begins to answer some questions here about the heavenly council. What is that? These angels are not just there to praise and worship him, but that God has a relationship with them in which he involves them in his purposes. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. In the same way, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need me. God wasn't in heaven so lonely, oh, I want to make a call and die, that'll make life better. No. God is eternally self-sufficient, but in his relational nature, God loves to involve his heavenly creation and his earthly creation in the outworking of his purposes, in his sovereign plan. In the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. When we talk about heavenly beings, we're not talking about competitive beings who are on an equality with God, and God somehow has to struggle in heaven to make his voice heard. No, these are creatures created by God, and he is God, and there is only one God, and no comparison to him, but the other heavenly beings exist, because he created them. Verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. And then the psalm goes on. Now, I want to take you to an Old Testament story. And there is no way around it. We're going to have to read 23 verses. So think of it as a good story time and, and listen, the, the words will be here. It is 1 Kings 22. And you'll see, turn to it in your Bibles. Please follow in your Bibles, not, not just on the screen. And also do bring your Bibles 
I brought my Bible, which is not true. It's Michelle's Bible, and I left mine at home. I, so to make this point, I didn't use my electronic Bible. Don't get out of the habit of having a Bible that is made of paper. Did you young people know that the Bible has just come out in paperback? Did you know that? All right. All right. So let's go through the story, and you will see why I've chosen this passage just to begin to talk about these things. It's long, so I'll try and make it as... as um, as listenable as possible. 1 Kings 22, verse 1. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, who we see in the context, he is Ahab. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet, do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people is your people, my horses is your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Interesting. Jehoshaphat, godly king, Ahab, godless, pagan in many ways. But Jehoshaphat said, we've got to ask God about this. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. They all said the same thing. Verse 7, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Obviously, he realized something was a bit amiss here. Verse 8, And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Ah, now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah the son of Chenaha made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets are with one accord. They're favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. I can't tell you the number of ways and levels at which that ministers to those of us who are called to preach the word of God. Verse 14. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he'd come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. 
But the king said to him, How many times shall I tell you, make you swear that you speak to not, nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord God said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he not prophesies good about you, but only evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. This is a heavenly scene. This is the heavenly council. We've just been reading about it in Psalm 89. Micaiah has a vision of what was taking place in the heavenlies. Verse 20. And the Lord said to those heavenly beings, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, another said another. Can you see this? discussion, there's conversation. Now we read the passage, God didn't need advice. He may, had made up his mind the time was coming to judge Ahab, but he involves his heavenly beings in the means by which it happens. God made the decision, but he involves his heavenly beings. Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? One said one thing, another said another. Then a spirit came forward. Heavenly beings are spiritual beings. A spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said, by what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Now, let's hold him up. Do not be stumbled at this. God is working, handing Ahab over to the lies which will ultimately destroy him because that is what he had chosen to believe. This is not an evil spirit. This is a spirit acting on behalf of God to bring judgment by a means which God is now about to approve of and indeed determine. Halfway through verse 22, and he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. God made the decision. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. Why? Because of judgment. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Just an aside, I don't want to get sidetracked. There's so much to talk about. We'll come back to this at another time. But do you think that in some way, even in our generation, God hands over people, nations, to the foolishness of their own desires, and, and it's not as if God is behind it, he's not the author of evil, but in judgment, if you repeatedly refuse the truth, God will hand you over to the lie you choose to believe. Do you get that? But when that, that moment, it doesn't happen immediately. 
God is so gracious, God is so patient. When I think of Great Britain, the rich spiritual heritage, and people are falling over themselves to disassociate with anything to do with Jesus Christ, putting everything else, they, they believe in anything but Jesus, that is almost a supernatural response. It is almost as if God have mercy, God have mercy. It's almost as if God has, is in the process of handing us over to the foolishness of our own thoughts and ways as a society. Okay, so here we have a very clear introduction to something to do with the unseen realm, something to do with the heavenly spiritual realm. And already, we are, we are beginning to see that if we understand and discern the heavenly order, what, what it's there for, what God is doing, and begin to understand what is the role, how do these spiritual beings impact our lives? How does the spiritual realm relate to our calling as earthly sons and daughters of God? Now, uh, I would like to refer you to a, uh, a website, Bible.org. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that everything on that website is uh, um, kosher or I'd agree with, I don't, I don't know. But I, I did download the article on angels, and there's so much in here. And I, I, if you want to have a look and look at this later. But let me just uh, say one or two things that come up on this website, which are very helpful. One of the things that's very important to know, that every reference to angels is incidental to some other topic. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, in other words, God has not made it his business to speak so directly and so fully about everything. He gives us glimpses of what's going on in the heavenly realm, but always in the context of something else. Very important. So, uh, God's revelation never aims to inform us about everything that could be known of angels, but where they are mentioned, it is always to inform us further about God, about what He does and how He does it. And so, this is interesting for us today because there is a, a kind of burgeoning of an industry going on uh, concerning angels. Um, people are seeking alternative forms of spirituality. You know there are angel tarot decks. Did you know that? There are angel astrological um, communications. There are people who claim to be channeling the words and thoughts of angels. There are angel numbers. And people out there who are thirsting for spirit find very easy reference to these on YouTube and all kinds of programs and articles and YouTube presentations were claiming all kinds of things which are hardly ever, if ever at all, justified in terms of history. It's not as if people have done serious studies which are peer-reviewed. This stuff is out there and you will have, no doubt, come upon it. And so we need to develop an understanding by which we can talk to people about this, this, this stuff that they're interested in and show them what the Bible says about these things and let them choose. But the worldview of the Bible is not 
uh, merely that the world is a physical world and all that we can see and touch is all that there is. The Bible gives us the reality of the spiritual world, unseen powers, spiritual beings who are not embodied. In other words, they don't have physical bodies as we do. They can take on physical form and often when they appear they go unnoticed because they can look just like you and me and you may have met angels um, you may not know that they were angels you may kind of suspect and there are situations in which you look back and you think wow I wonder if so God he's very cautious about this um, I don't know if you've heard angel stories there are some people in the Middle Ages, they argue about how many angels could sit on the head of a pin. In our generation, it's how many angels we can see before breakfast many, many times. And, and many of these stories are not authentic. And, and the, we must allow the scripture to be the test and the judge. Do you know that there are no references at all to angels having wings in the Bible? Did you know that? There are living creatures that do, but no angels. Uh, do you know that there is no record in the Bible of angels appearing in feminine form? Did you know that? And yet so many of the stories we hear, there are wings everywhere and many, many angels apparently appearing in female form. Now I'm not suggesting anything by those things, but to say we ought to err on the side of caution. And by caution I mean allow these experiences to be subjected to the teaching of the Word of God and not believe everything that you hear or indeed even everything that you see. There are some angel stories. I'll tell you one which is uh, illustrative of my point. I know a man whom I really believe saw an angel. And by that I'm not just talking about a vision or a flash of light in the park at night. I'm talking about an angel came and visibly stood before him. And the way he talks about it, you can tell that it is a little more genuine than people who say, yeah, I saw one, I saw one yesterday. <laughs> he hardly could talk about it. That's a good sign. He said it's very difficult to talk about, very difficult to strive. And as he was talking about it, he began to tremble, visibly. And he said, this angel appeared. And as soon as he saw the angel, he fell on his face. So glorious, so otherworldly, that he was, his first instinct was to worship. And the angel said, don't do that. I am a servant just as you are a servant. Get up. And the way my friend described this, I'll just give you one insight. He said, it was extraordinary. He said, the fragrance. It was as if I could smell, sense the atmosphere of heaven that hung around this heavenly messenger. Now, many times, if I look at my experience and I suspect, I would confidently say it was angelic, 
I've never had an experience like that. I've had visions of angels. I saw that. It's all published in my book on grace for the Citadel booklet. Do read it because it's a serious warning from the Holy Spirit concerning our generation. But there are times when I was conscious. I can't prove it. Don't forget the gift of discerning of spirits is not just to test out to see if there's a demon around. You know, discerning of spirits is to see what is the motivating spirit behind any activity or appearance. It could be a human spirit that's at work. It could be a, a demonic spirit or it could be an angelic spirit. So this gift of discerning of spirits. There was a time when we were looking at buildings. We did get a 4,000, 5,000 seater for four years as a period of time and we kept this building and we were using it to gather in our London City celebration, a vision to take London for Christ. And um, every person, every agent, oh, there's a building here, it'll suit you, a building there, suits suit you. So we go and have a look, look around, do a big study on it, cost money. And I thought, do you know what? This is ridiculous. I want to know. That's the only thought I had. And in the middle of the night, I was awoken by something that appeared in my, in my sensation to be passing above the building. I believe it to be an angel, can't prove it. And I don't know whether I'm glad or sad that the angel didn't knock on the door or, and come in and, and scare me. But the words I heard was, that is not your building. That's all I heard. So we dropped it. We didn't pursue, didn't waste any money pursuing that. And soon after that, this other building did, did come up. I remember many years ago in Africa. So I've told this story before. I stick to just a few of them. Um, and I, I know that there are new people here over the last few years. But those of you who heard it before, just sit back and act as if you've not heard the story before. Um, I was out in, in Kenya, and um, there was just two of us on the team. We were doing some preliminary work, and uh, we hired a car. Um, we couldn't get any higher car. Uh, a couple of Wasungu who knew nothing in the, uh, in the city. And anyway, I, I, I was a little bit worried about the, the car because the tires looked about as bald as, as Gordon Neal. And Gordon Neal, if you're watching tonight, you'll know about that. The rest of you, he's just a friend of ours. And we crossed in Kenya across the um, um, Rift Valley, the mountains. A great storm came. The road was narrow, broken down. The car was hopeless. I discovered later that the driver had never attended driving school. <laughs> and I was worried. Thank God the people don't ever... And by the way, I don't go on trips. I have never been on a trip. A trip is a bus you take to the seaside. I go on mission. And I rely on being sent and prayed for. And people were praying. I was worried. We had to travel through the night. I'd traveled already through the night on the plane. So I was tired. So you know what you do when you're tired? You go to sleep. And as I was settling off to sleep, a great peace came over me. 
It was supernatural, I believe. A couple of days later, we came back the same route in the daytime. Trees across the road, buses rolled down the ravine. How we got across without being harmed, I can only suggest to you. I am convinced of it myself, all right? But I can't prove it. I'm just telling you. I really believe that God sent an angel to protect us and to keep us safe. So, uh, we ought to be very careful that we don't go too far on one side, believing everything that we hear and see without discernment or rejecting it and saying, I will believe in the existence of God. I will believe in the Trinity. I will believe in creation. I'll believe in the virgin birth. I'll believe in the resurrection. I'll believe in all these things because it is orthodox doctrine to believe so, but I don't think angels has got anything to do with it. Why are we? Because we're so rational. Uh, uh, and, and in the Western world, we've been influenced by this closed view of the universe. Now, we can go to the other, other extreme, I know. But I know the difference. Because whenever I get on an aeroplane and go on a mission that takes me out of uh, airspace of Great Britain, and I start heading into another country like the Philippines or Africa, and I land there, people think differently. They don't have this rationalistic mindset, which is, rationalism is a false philosophy that says only the material world exists and things that we can't understand, we don't, we don't even believe in. So we have to understand that God is, is, is at work here. So there is a reality, reality in the spiritual realm. And it's, it's biblical, 196 references in the Bible to angels. 196. 103 in the Old Testament, 93 in the New Testament. The simple word angel, malech, in the Hebrew, angelos, in the Greek, means messenger. Messenger. Now what you need to know, I don't want to get too complicated, but the term angels, to be used of all the heavenly beings, only came with the New Testament revelation. In the Old Testament, angels applied to a category of heavenly beings who were specifically messengers. I would put it like this, in the government of God, they were the civil servants. But above them were the rulers. You could call them principalities, if you like. And we bump into them here and there in the book of Daniel and various places. In the book of Deuteronomy, we bump into them. Bump into them in the book of Genesis. We'll come back to that. But so we have this wonderful categories. And one of the things we need to ask ourselves is, okay, they were created. So when were they created? Anybody know the answer to that? Well, they were created before the world was created. Did you know that? God created them first. And in that great interrogation, loving, insightful, but nevertheless stern in, uh, interrogation that Almighty God brings to Job after all his suffering and all of Job's questions. If you're going through suffering, 
one of the first things you'll have is questions. When Amanda and I went through a period of time of intense suffering, don't get your violins out, but intense suffering. When our young daughter, Laura, was so badly brain damaged at birth and lived for 16 years in total dependence, RT did us the honor of a lifetime in conducting the funeral here in this very spot. And Amanda and I, we had our moments, there's no doubt about it. It was not easy. Now people come and say, ah, there's sin in your life, that's why this is happening. Or if you had more faith, you could cast it out. I've got enough faith to cast you out, my dear, so don't. don't. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's leave that there. But I wonder if Amanda remembers this. We visited some friends in a former church where we used to work. And a, a lady there put on a very, very artificial, wholly sympathetic voice. Oh, you must have so many questions. We, we had questions, but we, we, we weren't living with, oh, why, 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 why? But having questions is good. It's honest. But remember that some of the questions will not be answered in an interview with Almighty God sitting in front of you on earth. They'll be answered in heaven. And probably by then we'll forget to ask. But Job had complained. He'd kept his integrity. He didn't deny God, but he asked deep, painful, penetrating questions. God addressed him and said, Job 38 verse 4, By the way, by the way is my words, not the Bible yet. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And all this is God saying, listen, I'm bigger than you are. In fact, I'm almighty. I've got things under control. And the questions legitimate that you have for me will be answered. But you cannot demand from God anything. McQuirter, a former friend, colleague, lecturer of R.T. Kendall. Remember him? A quote, what you quoted, something along these lines. Until you have renounced your every claim on God, you have not seen the divine glory. Something like that. In our entitled world, we have to learn to lay down our entitlement. To know that we're in a broken world, in a hurting world. In a suffering world. And for all our faith. And for all the miracles that God will do when he chooses to do. There are things that just don't happen the way we want them to happen. God's purpose is higher. And in some instance, if you go back to the book of Job. The sons of God were present and God boasts in the presence of his heavenly beings, to the accuser, to the chief prosecutor in heaven. And boasts of Job. You haven't found anybody to accuse. How about Job? Look at him. 
He loves me, serves me. And the accuser, the adversary said, who only does it for what he can get out of you? You've blessed him. You give him health, prosperity, respect. Of course he'd love you. you take that stuff away and he'll curse you. And so the story goes. There is a sense in which a earthly life drama, real life drama, I won't trivialize it by comparing it to reality TV, but a real life drama that is working out in your life and in my life, and this is being witnessed in heaven. Because God is working something powerful in our lives. You and I are in training for reigning. And if we persevere, we shall qualify one day to rule and reign with Christ and even judge angels. You know that? God has got a plan for us far bigger than we can understand. And it involves the heavenly beings. And if right now those two worlds are naturally separated and correctly separated, there is interaction between the two. But our domain is the earth. And we serve God on a day-to-day, time-related basis. And we have no idea the effects we are having on the spiritual realm or the effects the spiritual realm is having upon us. One of the glories of the gospel is that God is demonstrating to the heavenly beings the mystery of His will and the outworking of the saving purposes which are so mysterious, so beyond the imagination, so beyond the comprehension of even the angels of God that they are looking at us and they are amazed. They're amazed when they see you and me Frail human flesh, physical human weaknesses, and add to that this moral battle that's going on in our lives all the time. And and like it or not, and I hope we don't like it, but we have to admit that very often we fail in that struggle, but we keep on going. Amen and amen. amen. And when they look and marvel and wonder at the grace of God that He will take those who were created for a little lower than the angels, now being exalted in Christ to the right hand of God, it is a heavenly drama and all heaven is living in amazement, standing on tiptoe every day to see yet more evidence of the grace of God in our lives and how God is working it out as we surrender to him. Give Jesus a big praise. Haven't finished with Job. Oh, the time. Okay, it's very easy. I could just stop. That's what I'll do. It won't be a nice round-off, but I'll, I'll come to a round-off very, very quickly so we'd, I don't spend too much and we come back other Sundays for this. Where we were laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you're understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. They were witnesses of creation. They were not involved. When God said, let us make man in our image, 
It was a statement of, of exhortation, but God created. God made the heavens. God made the earth. God made you. No angel, no lesser being. God himself. But they were witnesses. Witnesses. How wonderful angels from the beginning to the end. Hebrews 12, 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. If you don't ever get to see an angel on earth, don't worry, you're going to see plenty up there. Amen. Need to know that these angels were created sinless. Some say perfect. And I understand what they mean by that. But I would have to say perfect, but not perfected. They have free will. And they, they use, some of them, their free will against God. They are like Adam and Eve were. They had free will. They were good. God created them in that way. But they, they, they were on probation, so to speak. They were to be tested. Their obedience were to, was to be tested. Even Jesus was made perfect through his tests and sufferings. So God is doing a work in our lives. And what that means is that these beings, though perfect, still had free will and could choose to disobey God. And we shall see next week, some have done just that. And so I want to go back to the statement. I've implied it already these ministering spirits are there to serve us for the sake who inherit salvation. We'll do more of that another time, and that's where I wanted to get to tonight. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, we, we, as I say, we've got other occasions. But I want to just round this off by taking you back to Psalm 89. Now we can read it, and we can see. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O God, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord, who among the heavenly beings is like God, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Angels worship him. We don't worship angels. Don't even invoke them. We talk to God. We worship God. And if angels come alongside, and we are aware of it or not, that's up to God. So we focus on our mission, we concentrate on God, and yet we are more often without knowing it, being ministered to, guarded by, protected, strengthened, by God's ministering spirits who take care of us in ways that maybe we will never fully understand until we get to heaven.